The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hello, Dr. Ray. Hi, Dr. Ray. How are you? I'm sure I'm going to get really good advice from you. Well, I don't know about that. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. You came to the wrong place. So what do I do? Well, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. This is wonderful advice. This is what I needed to hear. You're right on track with us. You're right on track. Everybody make a mistake. Does that comfort you? No. Am I close? No. You are the best thing that has ever happened to people. Did I make you feel a lot better or what? No, you made me feel worse. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Sometimes you have to feel worse to get better. It's the way it is. It's one of the risks of therapy. You go places, you talk about things, you probe, you say things that aren't necessarily comfortable to hear or good to hear. And that's why a lot of people don't come back. But taking medicine, which tastes terrible, can make you better. Thanks for joining me here. Doctor is in. Uh, just, well, let me quickly give you the intro. This is look back Friday, which means you take previous calls and then I talk more about them for various reasons. Those will become clear as we go on, but in the interest of embellishment, extrapolation, uh, I will point out something in the call that I didn't at the time, or I'll add a clarification Maybe an explanation of a particular diagnosis. Just something where the call lends itself. They, they all lend themselves to further comment. Obviously, this is not therapy. I can only educate and give a few thoughts here. But there are, there are times when uh, education uh, is called for that uh, wasn't uh, permitted in the context of the call. Because there are other folks online. So we will get to those Shortly, I just uh, just came back from uh, visiting my dentist. Um, he diagnosed me with TMJ, temporomandibular joint dysfunction. That's when you have pain in that joint there, right on your jaw, right underneath your ear. And I figured out why that is. I thought, why would I have that? I don't grind my teeth at night. I'm not a tense guy. It's a leftover. Yeah, yeah. It's a leftover from um, raising my children, talking to my children. I'll give an example. Let's say that my 14-year-old daughter says, Hey, Dad, just I'm, I'm going to go right into the store. I'll just be like a minute. Just park out here and wait for me. I'll be a minute. Okay, okay, sir, I can I can do that. So I parked the car, or if you're in Boston, parked the car. And it's, I know it's not going to be a minute. That's just kind of meaning I'll be quick. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 25 minutes. All right, all right, I got to go in there and see what's going on. I'm fired up. So I head in the door, and my daughter Sarah is in the checkout line. I can't yell at her. That wouldn't be cool out in public. No. So what do I do? I I yell at her with a clenched jaw. <laughs> Sir, what? I, 
are you taking this long? Why? You said one minute. See, well, that'll give you, if you raise 10 children, you're going to get TMJ. You know, you parents know what I'm talking about. It's when you want to yell, but you can't yell. All right, I'm kidding. That was just an example. I want you to think I yell at my kids in public. I yell at them at home. That's, when you, that's where you yell at them if you're a good parent. All right. Let me see what I got here in front of me for an opening manologue. <laughs> Ooh, time limit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I th- I'm going to do that one more closer to, closer to the... Uh, holidays wrote a book my second book that i wrote was a book called back to the family it was done in conjunction with akron children's hospital the uh, director of marketing man named david ike was planning on a book and this book was going to be based upon interviewing families all 50 states around the country who had been nominated by state teachers of the year in every state as very admirable model families families that just seem so well to raise great kids they had to have an author for this and not only an author but they were hoping for somebody with a little bit of a psychological background and so they landed on me wrote the book and one might think all right great parents they themselves must have had great parents they're raising these admirable children that are among the nicest most pleasant most mature most responsible kids that these teachers had ever taught obviously there's a lot of good parenting going on a lot of stable parenting and by the way uh several of the mothers were single mothers so they weren't they weren't all dual parent families and one would think that they themselves the parents themselves had great upbringings not so uh, a percentage of them maybe 20% or more had ugly chaotic alcohol ridden abusive type families one father said my memories of my dad started pretty much when i was five years old when he would go to the bars and he'd go inside there with all of his buddies and he'd stay there for several hours and i'd sit in the car for several hours waiting for him to come back out at age five at age five how is it then that these parents who went on to raise these great kids had these ugly, nasty childhoods. You know, you look at the theories and they say, if you had a bad childhood, you're going to have a bad adulthood. You're going to think you're okay, but then one of these days you're just going to snap and you're going to torch all six garages near you in your neighborhood. And people are going to say, he was such a quiet man, just a very nice guy, Coach Little League him in his church to the TV cameras that come by well I dubbed the phenomenon in the book reverse resolve 
In the words of one mother, she said, my mother was not very loving at all. My mother was distant and cold, put us down. I remember how that felt as I was growing up. And I became more and more determined that if I ever became a mother, my children were not going to doubt how much I loved them. Well, now, obviously, you can't control what they're going to doubt. But what she meant to say was, I'm going to show them how much I love them. I called it reverse resolve. These parents recognized what their childhood was like. And they determined that if they are ever blessed with children, and by the way, the bulk of them were were very religious people, that they would put every effort into not raising their kids as they were raised. The opposite. This kind of goes against all the trendy theories, doesn't it? You can't ever overcome your bad childhood. There'll always be residual reverberations from your bad childhood. And you better be careful because if you have kids, you know, you're going to repeat those mistakes. Well, these parents didn't. A lot of them didn't. They weren't all stable childhoods themselves. But there was something in the human spirit that said, I'm not going to be like this. I'm not going to do this. I learned a lot of lessons on what not to do. And I'm going to raise my kids very differently than the bad way I was raised. Reverse resolve. It's a powerful force in parenting, and it speaks to the fact that we're not indulgibly tied to the way we were raised. For Christians, by the grace of God, we can reverse that. But we have to have the resolve to do so. I'm Dr. Ray. He is only one of four popes honored as the great. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. St. Leo I was pope at a time when Roman civilization was being overrun by barbarian armies. He stood as a light in the darkness and even saved the city of Rome from destruction by Attila and the Huns. Leo died in 461. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. I turned from a recreational drug user to a drug addict. That took me to my knees. I lost a family, almost two families. I lost friends. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. I love it. My heart's there. I took communion after 18 years, and the rest of the Mass I sat and cried. God restored my life. God restored my family. God restored my love. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. 
you can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. a weird day for me i i thought you know it started out a really a, a fortunate day first this morning i found a hat full of money and then i was chased by an angry man with a guitar oh what to make of that look back friday so what we can make of this i'm dr ray garendi program the doctor is in monday through friday one o'clock eastern time it is co-produced by Ave Maria Radio Communications and the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, some 400-plus stations domestically and pushing 500 around the world. And they've come to me saying I need to learn those languages. Well, so far, so good. In 20 years I've been on this station, well, this radio, I'm here at the station in Canton, Ohio, I have learned one language, and uh, Australian. So I, I can do that. I'm going for a walkabout. That's pretty much all I've learned. So if I do go to Australia and I have to communicate with the folks, uh, I hope I have to do a walkabout because they'll understand what I'm saying. Now, what have we got there? I'm looking at that clock. Uh, Jennifer from Texas. Uh, her nine-year-old son's father... They are no longer civilly married. I don't know the history of their marriage. Uh, Let's him have freedom technologically way beyond anything Jennifer would wish for her nine-year-old son. My son is caught in the middle, unfortunately, between my ex and myself because my ex gives him all the video games he wants to play, and those games are horrible like Fortnite and Minecraft and all those other games and I don't let them have any because I know how horrible those games are and so my son's like well how come I don't have any video games and I'm telling him that the messages in those games are horrible and when I tell you to stay away from those games I'm being serious because those messages are just terrible and yet like I said, my ex, he's just giving him everything he wants. And so he's kind of stuck in the middle, and I don't know how to handle that. How old is so your son? Can you give me any thoughts? He's nine. Whoa! So, oh, my! And, his, and he, his cousins have all the video games as well. And so he's kind of stuck in the middle. And I feel horrible that he is. But yet those messages that those video games portray are just awful. And you probably know that the further they get into them, the sexuality well, Especially gets at into age it. nine. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, my, my exactly. guess would be that your, your son's father uh, has visitation. You, have, you are the main custodial parent. I'm the main. Yes. Your, your son's I'm father like has visitation. So therefore, I want my son to really like me and to really love me. And I'm going to show him how cool I am and how neat I am to yes. give him these things. Exactly. It's every, yeah, he wants to be 
living his life through his son, and that just irritates me because he's he's wanting everything through his son, and um, and I'm like, no, you are you, and your dad is your dad, and don't let your dad try to change you. So and, Jennifer, you, know, like you, you, you want to, you want the good news yeah. or you want the bad news? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm almost afraid. <laughs> what the bad news is all your beautiful reasoning, and it is, is going to fall on deaf ears. Because all your little nine-year-old son knows is those games are cool. And I really don't care what mom says, because I want to play them. And dad thinks they're okay. And I like that. So therefore, that's the bad news. The good news is, you don't have to have those games at your house, and you're 87% of the parenting time, right? Yes. Thank now, for that. yes, it is. Thank goodness for that. Here's another piece of kind of twisted good news. I have seen Disney dads on weekends ultimately get very frustrated with the child because you can't be permissive like that and have a good relationship. Ultimately, things get very friction-filled. So maybe his dad will come to the conclusion, uh-oh, I've been doing things aren't aren't good. Is there any indication, Jennifer, that Dad will listen to you at all? Oh no, oh no, he's been very abusive too to me, and that goes back to what you're talking about with the cell phones too. Is the dad gives him a cell phone that he says is not hooked up to the internet? But I don't know how much I could believe that, and I don't have a cell phone for him, and I'm not going to give him a cell phone. In fact, the time that he has phone privileges, it'll be a landline. It'll be a magic jack, so his friends can talk to him, but it won't be a cell phone. All right, here's <laughs> he good won't news. Get and... a cell phone for a long time. Good, here's good news and bad news again. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bad news is you're going to have a hard time competing right now with his dad, because his dad's attitude is, "Come on, man, I'm going to let you have a wonderful, wonderful childhood as you, as a nine-year-old, see it." And mom's gone. No, no, this isn't good for you. I'm going to put some limits on your freedoms. And this nine-year-old is going to say, whoa, what's with mom? Okay, that's the bad news. But here's the good news. He's going to see that mom is the one you can count on. Mom is the one who's there when he's sick. Mom is the one who takes him somewhere. Mom is the one who cuddles down with him at night when you watch something on TV. Mom is the one who puts him to bed and tucks him in and says prayers. He's going to see that mom is the reliable parent, the one he can count on. Dad, unfortunately, has um, a misguided idea of what is Very a good parent. So, <laughs> so yeah. that's, that's your good news to look forward to. And I'm so sad for you that your ex is doing these kinds of things because, yes, you're absolutely right. It's not going to help. It's not going to help your son's makeup. It's not going to help your parenting. However, cling to the idea. You do not compete with your ex. You be who you are. Watch the lectures, though, uh, because ultimately you don't want your son to look at you like, oh, she does this yap at me. My dad lets me do this, and she just yaps and tells me how it's no good. Don't, don't, don't get yourself caught into that dynamic. Just be who you are, what you have to do as a good parent, and those games will not come in your house, 
and the cell phone will not come in your house. And what will happen is when your dad gives that young man a cell phone and finds out that the kid doesn't pay any attention to him because he's on his cell phone, maybe dad will start to rethink it. Several comments, several levels. It sounded like Jennifer was either divorced by her husband and she had no choice in this or that she just decided I don't want to live with him. I don't know what the circumstances were. But I do want to say this to those who are in a marriage where they're thinking, maybe it would just be better if I broke this marriage. Jennifer is experiencing one of the most common things that happens when a marriage breaks. And that is, I have absolutely no control whatsoever of any kind over my child's upbringing when they're with the other parent. That is something that many parents come into my office with and saying, I didn't realize this when I divorced my spouse. I was just frustrated in the marriage. I was unhappy in the marriage, and I thought I couldn't persevere in the marriage. And now what I'm finding is that I am very frustrated about the way my child is losing their innocence with the other parent because of what they're allowed to have, what they're allowed to do, the permissiveness. So that's a big one. That is a big one. And I tell parents, especially those who are not of a religious commitment bent, understand that you will lose total control of your child's upbringing. Now, maybe you have a reasonable ex-spouse, but in most marriages who break, they break because of ill will or hostility or distance or friction, which means it makes it much less likely that, as Jennifer says, he's not going to listen to her at all. That's the first thing. The second thing is it's tempting to compromise your standards because the other parent is so far away from your standards. And you're thinking to yourself, when he's 14 years old, He's going to look over there where he has the kind of freedom that he really, really wants as a 14-year-old compared to mine, which has restraint and healthy limits and reliable upbringing. Yes, that does happen, and that is a risk, too, and I tell that to parents. So you have to understand that at some point, you may find a very uncooperative adolescent because... They see the freedom that they could have in the other place. And I've seen some kids actually make their custodial parent's life so miserable that the custodial parent gives up and says, I can't handle them. They're too unruly. They're too difficult. Go. Go live with your father. Go live with your mother. Can't take this anymore, especially with your nine-year-old brother watching all this. Yeah, so it creates major, major complications and I warn parents, if you're if you're in an unhappy marriage and you think there's nothing you personally can do about it, you can because you can always personally control you. You can't control the other person, but you can control you. You can control your reaction. You control your mood. You control all kinds of things that you can do to make this more tolerable for yourself because what could be intolerable is watching the way your child or children are being raised and what they're being exposed to out of your sight. Big factor. And hopefully when Jennifer's son is with her 
and she sees that they can do many fun things together and loving things together and spend time together, not in a video screen. He may say, I, I like my mom's way of raising me better than my dad's. He just throws me in front of a screen and lets me just do this. And it may not be so much the freedom that dad has given him. It may not be that dad's attitude is, Jennifer, you're just a religious freako and you're not going to ruin my son. It may be because he's too lazy to be a parent. Here, here's your video cocaine. Sixty on ten with Monsignor Charles Pope. The fifth commandment: You shall not kill. At the heart of this commandment is an absolute insistence on the sacredness of human life. We read in Jeremiah chapter one and verse five: Before I ever formed you in the womb, I knew you, says the Lord. So every human life is sacred because it's caught up in the mind and the heart and the will and the love of God. And no matter how we're conceived or any circumstances, God has always known and loved every human person. And for this reason, we are to hold sacred every human life. We are therefore to never murder, never kill, never seek vengeance. Of course, we have issues of abortion and euthanasia today, and we have so many ways where we, in some way, disrespect the lives of other human persons and even our own life. We have to learn to respect it as a great gift from God. The fifth commandment: You shall not kill. For more about the Ten Commandments, visit ewtnrc.com. Connection with Teresa Tomio. We listen to all kinds of things, as the Pope says. The radio, the TV, we listen to our phones, all kinds of other messages. But are we silencing ourselves enough that we may listen for God? The other thing we need to do is continue to educate ourselves on the faith. Are we listening to Catholic programming on a regular basis? Are we attending really good, healthy, faith-filled conferences to learn more from those who may be scripture scholars or apologists or maybe just a good talk from a spiritual leader or maybe watching a good video of a wonderful priest such as a Father John Ricardo or a Bishop Barron or someone else? So continue to, as Father John Harden used to say, educate, educate, educate yourself in the Catholic faith. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern, on EWTN Radio. I asked my great-grandpa once, after 65 years of marriage, it's incredible. You you still call Grandma darling and beautiful and honey. What's the secret? He said, well, I forgot her name five years ago, and I'm scared to ask her. <laughs> Dr. A, thanks for joining me here. Doctor is in. Uh, look back Friday. Let's see what uh, call we're going to look back on or listen back on. But look back sounds so much better. Carol from South Dakota. she got some daughter-in-law friction. You had a disagreement with your daughter-in-law. 
Yeah, well, you know, my grandson did something and, and caused me to react. And so I, um, and, and shamefully, I, I, I slapped his leg. And my son. Okay. Let me stop you right there. Just there. for a quick question. Forgive okay. me for doing this, but I'm a psychologist. I can't help it. Okay. He didn't. He didn't cause you to react. You reacted. I reacted. Yeah. Okay. He didn't, he didn't cause yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. So anyhow, my son who was present called me on the carpet right away, and said, "You know, we don't react with a negative, with another negative. That's okay. not how we do it." And I'm like, "Okay." And then he scolded his son for for you know what he did. And he said, I want you two to both uh, apologize and make up. And so we did. It was very easy. He's, he's just a darling eight-year-old boy, anyhow. And, um, and when we got done apologizing and hugging and everything, I looked up, and his mother, who was not there, was all of a sudden there. And she was not happy. She was ready to take the boy away and leave the scene. And I wasn't going to sit around and listen to her complain. I grabbed my grandson, and we went off to play some more. Well, that made her happy. And, oh, yeah. Well, it, it was just that I, I, I knew what was going to come out of her mouth. You know, how dare she touch my child, that, that we don't discipline like that. So what would you do, spank I mean, him or grab him, or what would you do? No, I just I slapped his leg. He, he had kicked my arm and caused me to spill my water because he was sitting on a... He was sitting behind me on the grass. I was sitting on a retaining wall. And so wait, wait. This eight-year-old kicked your arm on mm-hmm. purpose? On purpose? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh-huh. I think so. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know why he, his leg got in the got in there unless he meant to do it. You know. Mm-hmm. And he so, didn't say sorry, Grandma. He didn't say no. I didn't mean to do that. Not, not really. Uh. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. No. So, you know, I just reached back and, and slapped his leg, and, and that's when my son corrected me. Um, well, apparently... And, you know, and since all of that, I've even reached out to her uh, to apologize again and to hopefully put this behind us. And it has fallen on deaf ears. I don't think that was it. I think if you would ever get a chance to hear what she thinks, you've been bugging her for a long time. I have that feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't the fact that you gave yeah. the kid a little crack on the leg. It's the fact that I'm sick yeah. and tired of your stepping in. We know how to raise our yeah. kid. We don't really need yeah. to raise him the same way you raise him, you old-fashioned religious nut. Yeah. See, I got him involved in religious ed this year, and she uh-huh. was really not See? too for yeah, that. there's just too much you're And doing. my son said, yeah, my son gave the approval, and uh, yeah. And then well, she quickly scheduled swimming lessons the same night. So damage control, shortly. you probably have radically underestimated these years how she has so much, in her mind, swallowed your interference. Yeah. And that was just the last hit, so to speak. Uh, if you want to do damage control, you probably have to go to her and say, I'm so sorry, uh, this, this is your child, and I will, I will never again give opinions on how you should raise them, count on it. Now, at that point, that's not going to soften her. But you have to hope that time softens her and realize this is huge. Realize you no longer can say or do anything that remotely smells 
like you're giving an opinion on his discipline or their parenting. Oh, so many possible conclusions to make here. First of all, did you notice that Dad said, we don't respond to a negative with a negative? Okay, so the eight-year-old boy, either impulsively or deliberately, kicked his grandmother's arm so she could spill her drink. Mm-hmm. So that was the negative, I guess. And then Grandma responded with an equal negative in Dad's mind. She gave his thigh a little light tap. Doesn't sound like, I, mean, I guess it's not going to be she didn't wail on him. She just kind of said, hey, and she just kind of cracked his thigh. And he didn't even feel it, I'm sure. Well, Dad made the moral equivalence. Negative with a negative. Then he said, and this is interesting. Then he said, now you need to both apologize to each other. Well, first of all, now it's the implication is Grandma did something wrong. So it's equal. Once again, moral equivalence. Kicking your grandmother's arm, spilling her drink, and she reacted with a little tap on the leg. Equal. Both apologize. Then Grandma said something interesting, which I, as a psychologist, my spidey senses went up all over the place. She said, oh, he's a very sweet, loving young man. If that's an example of how his parents deal with discipline, maybe he is. Maybe by nature, no matter how permissive they are, no matter how enlightened, no matter how gentle parenting they practice. Yeah, he just may be a sweet kid. But I'll tell you, my experience has been, they are risking making him not a sweet kid. Because if that is the approach, then in fact, they're, they're doing things that may not work all too well and he's going to get older. I've seen it over and over and over and over and over again. First of all, Grandma didn't do anything that wrong. Grandma may have done something they didn't like, but she didn't do anything that wrong. And the fact that daughter-in-law wrote her off, I think that was a nice excuse because now daughter-in-law has a reason. She doesn't like what Grandma does anyway, especially trying to get him into our, uh, uh, religious instruction. Forgive the us. Hate that. I didn't say you know, though. So that was her justification. Good. We can we can weaken the connection if not sever it. And as I said, my guess would be that the daughter-in-law has looked at all this over the years and said, I do not like your mother's approach to raising children. Which is interesting, is it not? Because I don't know how she views her husband. If she views her husband as a very well-adjusted easy to be married to man grandma raised him so what she's saying that he grew up good despite grandma is that what she's saying so again another so too many so's here uh grandma's got a major league uphill climb to get back into this daughter-in-law's i'm not even gonna say good graces i'm gonna say tolerant graces that she'll ultimately be allowed somewhat back into this little guy's life. Uh, I think this has been brewing. She's going to have to go with her hat in her hand as best she can. Hopefully that'll be enough.
those who deny the full humanity of the preborn will be toying with the sentiments of pro-life people. They will say, you can't really believe in the humanity of the unborn unless you support this or that piece of legislation. The pro-life position is quite different. We might well believe that we need to improve social conditions, but first of all, we believe that the pre-born are a good to be protected, even if born into poverty, even if born into unstable, violent homes. We want to eliminate those terrible conditions, but it is the height of arrogance to tell human beings like unborn children who cannot communicate or reason or stand up for themselves that they are better off dead because we know from our own experience that we would choose life and survival over death no matter how poor our social environment. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. When we ask our Father to give us this day our daily bread, are we merely asking for daily nourishment? We are, says the Catholic Catechism, indeed asking the Father who gives us life for the material and spiritual nourishment which life requires. But we are asking for much more. Those who seek the kingdom of God and its righteousness, God has promised to give all else besides. Since everything belongs to God, he who possesses God possesses everything, if he himself is not found wanting before God. The drama of hunger in the world, therefore, calls upon all Christians to exercise responsibility toward their needy brethren, both in their behavior and in their solidarity with the human family. This petition also applies to another hunger from which people are perishing, thirst for the word of the Lord and for Catholics receiving his body in the Eucharist, which is our daily bread. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Thank you for joining me on The Doctor is In on this Look Back Friday. Let's look back at Ann's call. We'll do more than look back. You can't see the computer screen. I can look back on it because the writing's up there. You have to listen back, if you so choose. Ann from Indiana. Rather rather serious presentation. How old's your daughter? She is 19. She just finished her freshman year of college. These, uh, this suicidal thoughts do you know what they're based upon not exactly she won't really open up and share that information with me um i do know i asked her one time if she thought that uh, someone shared an article with me on like uh rejection dysphoria syndrome and she said that that kind of felt a lot of like what she was going through. Um, but mostly she I, says that she once told me she's different from the rest of the people in our family. And she won't tell me what's really going on because she's afraid I'm not going to accept her anymore. What do you think it is? Sexual confusion? Gender confusion? Yes. That's my guess. That's my guess from what I've pieced together from conversations and she went to a Catholic high school, a very good, solid Catholic high school. And I know she had a lot of issues with a theology teacher and she would wind up leaving the room and crying. And all she would tell me was that people were mean. 
So she doesn't buy the Catholic Church's teaching on a number of things. Correct. She came home and announced to me with very rehearsed language that she would not be going to Mass with our family anymore. Well, if she is struggling with same-sex attraction, and she wants to, in fact, follow through with it and behave as she wants, but she knows, or she, or she can't predict what your and other people's reactions might be to it, she's trying to keep a foot in both places. I think, Anne, maybe your best move is to ask her straight up. Given all your discontent and all your unhappiness and all the fact that you're not telling me some things that you think would make me disown you, which I never, ever would, is it because you're struggling with same-sex attraction? And if she says yes, you can say, okay, how long? Um, how much social media influence? Now, you're not going to answer this. Well, you could answer this. When did she first get her smartphone? Well, she got a smartphone when she graduated eighth grade. Thirteen. she was not allowed to have social media until she was a junior in high school. Okay, that's pretty, that's pretty good delay. That's nice because social media is enormously confusing for people already confused. And she said something yeah, to well, you about that article. She said, I read that article and that article was me. Do you know Kathy, how? I sent it to her. I sent it to her and I said, is this how you feel? And she said, yes, that does describe a lot of what I feel. Well, you're talking to a psychologist, and those articles are very, they are squishy enough in their talk of feelings and their talk of personality traits in their talk of circumstances that a lot of people can say, that's me. Oh, yeah. I, oh, I see me in that. Oh, I've wrestled with that. That happens all the time. That's very common. So maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. We can't know. But what sounds like everything you're saying, including the old, I want no part of the Catholic Church, which is very common in someone who says, I have these attractions, therefore, the church hates me, which I'm thinking she may think this, and you need to at least straighten out her thinking on that, which is the church's teaching is having same-sex attraction is not a sin, Depends on what you do with it. Just like if she were opposite sex attractions at age 19 and she was having relations with her boyfriend outside of marriage. Same thing, at least in that sense. So, yeah, I think you're going to do some exploring here, Ann, because it's going to come out anyway. Typically what I see in these situations is that by a year or two more, they just the kids just go, okay, that's it. I'm telling you. But I would be curious... As to how she came to this thinking. Everybody tends to think that, in fact, it's automatic that this same-sex attraction was there since she was six. And, indeed, we're realizing that it's a, it's a much more complex journey in a lot of ways. Uh, maybe she had a friend. Maybe she met a friend and she had some kind of erotic attraction to this friend. Who knows? Who knows? But I think as you ask her about what it is that's so tormenting her, you can also explore a little bit about how it got to that point. Okay. All Alrighty. right. That God bless wonderful. you. Thank you so good, much. <laughs> you good, too. Good luck to you, dear. Rejection dysphoria makes it sound like it's some kind of mental disorder. 
It's not. It's the name, probably, that the author of the article, or maybe perhaps several articles, have put in on something where somebody feels rejected. And in this case, if she thinks I'm same-sex attracted, my family will never accept that. My family will reject me. That would explain it to her. It would put a name on it is what it would do. Um, the suicidal ideation, you have to see where it's coming from. It's probably coming from the fact that she believes I am same-sex attracted. I am irretrievably same-sex attracted. And therefore, uh, I will never be able to relate to my family in a certain way. I will never be able to be welcome within the Catholic Church. Probably an awful lot of misconceptions going on with this 19-year-old. And you got to get to them. you got to see what it is about that. And is this a relatively new thing? I mean, there's a lot of people who experiment with same-sex attraction later in their teen years or even as adults that uh, don't completely then become same-sex attracted to the exclusion of any other attraction. I, I know clients, I've had, I've had people who have told me that, yeah, there was a period of time when I went through that and I, that's no longer my approach to relationships. So that's that's something, and she's in college. So I I would know want to know essentially who who is her group, who's she hanging with. Her college is very 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 not only accepting but very applauding of same sex attraction. So there's a, there's a lot of unanswered questions here with this young lady. Um, <clears throat> if it comes down to, this has been my experience. If it comes down to, this is what I'm attracted to. And my faith says I can't act on this. Or my religion says, maybe not her faith. My religion says I can't act on this. There's a conflict. My experience has been, most of the time, the religion is rejected. It is not a matter of, I must live chastely, with these attractions or in some cases I've seen this I had, a, I had a client like this who had these attractions from very young but he wanted to be married he's socially married and had a number of children so he still had those attractions but his marriage was a source of friendship it was a, for, a source of camaraderie and contacts and, and even a friendly emotional connection. And he had children, so obviously he was attracted enough to his wife. But he always said, and he was a guy who was abused when he was younger, that uh, that attraction always was kind of knocking on his door. So, given all that, most of the time, now he did not reject the faith. He, he was a religious man. But most of the time, the young people say, for me to act upon my attraction, I'm going to have to reject the religion that tells me I can't act upon my attraction. When it comes down to uh, if this or if that, the that being their religion they were raised with uh, loses, Dr. Ray.
Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you feel as though life is flying past you? Are you desperate for a way to find moments of peace and quiet? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you are seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. Lord, Teach Me to Pray is free. Go to lordteachmetopray.com, click on the red box, order the Lord, Teach Me to Pray series now. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Do you have a bad temper? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. From the Old to the New Testament, Scripture speaks about us controlling our anger. Proverbs states that those of us with a hasty temper will make mistakes. We also know anger issues can lead to health issues. We can cause a fight, lose a friend, or witness to others in ways that are unproductive. Mayo Clinic suggests some ways to manage our anger and dial down the temperature of our anger. Practice deep breathing, maybe a personal timeout. Think before speaking. Calm down before discussing a concern. This will lead to less stress. Identify solutions and present them calmly. Try using humor or laugh at yourself. Humor can be a great diffuser. Most of all, if you have persistent anger issues at work or at home, don't be afraid to seek help. For more details on managing anger, look for the Journey Strong tab at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Thank you for joining me on The Doctor Is In last segment. And as I look at the calls up there, given that there seems to be roughly a little over four minutes, and given that the shortest call is over four minutes, I would not get, I would rob myself of being able to talk further. And that is something I will not do. So, as I am wont to do, I like chasing after one of C.S. Lewis's quotes. This is from Mere Christianity. One of the dangers of having a lot of money is that you may be quite satisfied with the kinds of happiness money can give and so fail to realize your need for God. If everything seems to come simply by signing checks. Now, you can tell this is dated because Lewis wrote back in the mid-20th century. We might say if everything seems to come simply by handing plastic. You may forget that you are at every moment totally dependent on God. I'm going to extrapolate that. So, so this would be kind of like a look back on C.S. Lewis. In America, you don't need a lot of money to be quite satisfied with the kinds of happiness that you can buy. 
given the level that we live materially, even our poor are, are generally more materially well off than much of the world's standard middle class group. This is true. We, we have in our country are poor. Those, those considered below the poverty rate money-wise, which is kind of misleading because it goes by income, household income, does not take into account the, the kinds of uh, supports available materially. They are, from a perspective of assets and possessions, above the, the normal middle class in many countries. So if you're able to have enough to pursue I personally know a lot of people who don't make a whole lot of money, but they drive a lot nicer car than I do. I don't know how they do that. Or they go after clothing that I wouldn't because it's too expensive. Or they go out to eat at expensive places a lot more than I do. And I don't know how they do that, but they do. And so with the money that they have... They are pursuing the kinds of happiness that they think the money will give them. And it doesn't work. Along with my knowledge of, of, of their income meeting their tastes is my knowledge that their, their lives are not all that content. Their lives have an awful lot of turbulence, a lot of bumpy spots, a lot of emotional distress. I don't know if you can make this as a one-to-one -one relationship, but I think there is a relationship, which is when you're chasing this kind of stuff materially, it certainly does seem to indicate, well, there I shouldn't have said certainly because that's a one-to-one -one relationship. More often than not, it seems to indicate that something's missing for you. Whatever it is. Much of the time, it's a relationship with your creator. Even though you may not recognize him as your creator, you may not pay any attention to him as your creator, you may just simply ignore him. If you look at the statistics in the U.S., although it's dropping, it's dropping dramatically. At one point, not so long ago, it was 92% of people believe in God. Now it's like an 80%, I think. But the belief is just he exists and whether that has any impact on the way you live that's quite a, quite a drop from there so as c.s lewis says you become convinced that you got the stuff to make yourself happy you'll forget that at every given instant you are dependent completely upon god and in any given instance, something can happen. Something can happen that can make that money useless because your health is gone or something has happened within your life and your family. And all of a sudden, all the stuff you chased doesn't seem so critical anymore. Thanks for joining me here on The Doctor's Inn. I appreciate it so much. Andrew Kruchek, all the editing you do on that end at Ave. Good Lord permitting. I'll see you on Monday. Walk with God. Totally dependent walk, I would say. So would Lewis. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook.
The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.